we're going to see the film Dune with my son, our youngest son, Adam, back in 2021, I think is when it came out. And we were pretty excited to see this film, pretty stoked. And we, watched, we were in the first three minutes, and these were the first three minutes, you know, the movie's pretty, pretty captivating. And after these three captivating minutes, the title, Dune, finally comes up in big letters. And then, very briefly, underneath the title, in small letters, these two words, part one. <laughs> and Adam and I look at each other and we're like, what? Part one, we have to wait. Like many who didn't know, this is going to be split up into different parts. And then we're going to have to wait, actually, until November of this year, part two comes out. We're going to look at Acts chapter one this morning. And I'm going to go old, old style. Go verse by verse through our passage here this morning. And it starts like this. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So the first book he's talking about is Luke, the Gospel of Luke. That's part one. Acts is part two, the sequel. In the Gospel of Luke, the main character, of course, is Jesus. In the book of Acts, if we're paying attention, especially to these first few chapters, the main character is still Jesus. So in Luke, Jesus, he's doing things on the earth. He's ruling as a different kind of king as he walks the earth. In Acts... Jesus is still doing and acting on the earth and ruling on the earth, but from heaven and through the Holy Spirit. As he baptizes his people with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, to do and say the kinds of things that he was doing and saying when he walked the earth, and to bear witness to him as Lord and as one who's been resurrected from the dead. So verse 3, after his suffering, after his death, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so convincing were these proofs that Jesus was alive, not just resuscitated, but he had come back from the realm of the dead. That somehow he had done what nobody else had ever done before. He had reversed death. He had conquered death. And so convinced were these apostles, these witnesses, that they were willing to suffer and die to tell people about this. But not in their own strength, of course. Verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. We're going to do in a few minutes. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a bigger meaning, actually, of baptism. Baptism. 
So this is how King Jesus is going to rule from heaven on the earth with his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that saturated his life is now he's going to immerse his people in it. The same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is now going to empower them and give them also a taste of resurrection life, even in this age. So verse 6, the question of the disciples. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom Israel, this is the time for that restoration. They knew about God's promises of restoration in the Old Testament in the, in the Jewish scriptures at this time. The restoration of the kingdom to their people, the people chosen by God, chosen to be holy, chosen to be blessed, chosen to be a blessing to the nations, but now they're being oppressed by the nations, by the Romans. They were chosen to be part of God's rescue plan to restore humanity back to God's original purpose. That ends finally in the restoration of all things that Peter actually mentions a few chapters later in a sermon he preaches, where he says this, Repent, therefore, turn around and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so that he may send the Messiah, the Christ, his anointed king at his right hand, appointed for you. That is Jesus. <coughs> he sends him to us already now in the Holy Spirit. But who must remain physically in heaven until the time of the restoration of all things that God announced long ago through the Holy Prophets. They knew about these promises, and under oppression rule, they longed for these promises. And they're like, Lord, is it now? Is it now? You're going to restore us? And then, and then Jesus says something really hard, but really important for us to hear. This is what he says. He says, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know that time. And that's hard for us to hear. We want God to intervene, and we want to know when that's going to be, and we prefer it would be right now. But we don't get that knowledge. We don't get that always. We have to wait and hope. We have to wait in patience. The, the book of Hebrews says we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. A lot of what God promises to us doesn't come to us instantly. It doesn't come in a time that we know about. And that's hard, but that's important to know about in our walk with God. Verse 8. But Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the, of the earth. 
So he says, not, you're going to get this in not many days from now. You don't know how many days. <laughs> Seems it was going to be pretty soon. But they didn't know how long. They knew it was coming soon. So they had to wait. They didn't know when, but they knew that the promise was coming. They knew the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come. God doesn't leave us forever in abandoned in our weakness. He promises, and He does come, and He will come. But sometimes we must wait. And sometimes we need to wait a long time. And that's hard. That's when we need to support each other. And don't just assume somebody's not believing because they're not experiencing something going on in your life right now. God might be waiting, and you might need to wait with them. He comes. And then verse 9. This is an important verse, too. It's all important. It's the word God. (laughs) While they were watching, or when he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That cloud, it didn't, uh, didn't take him up, up and away into outer space. The cloud took him out of their sight, that is, out of the seen realm and into the unseen realm. Out of the dimension of earth and into the dimension of heaven. Out of our space and into God's space. To go to God's right hand. To go to the command center of all things. And to begin to rule there as God's grateful king. And he Wright notes the following. When a Roman emperor died, it became customary to declare that someone had seen his soul escaping from his body and going up to heaven. If you go to the top end of the forum in Rome and stand under the arch of Titus and look up, you see a carving of the soul of Titus, who was emperor in the 80s of the first century, ascending to heaven. And the message of this was clear. The emperor was becoming a god and thus enabling his son to style himself Son of God. Which is a useful title if you want to run the world. So there's a similarity here, I think you can see, with the ascension of Jesus. But as I said before, in Scripture, again and again, what we see God doing is He takes something in culture, and then He does something different. He adds a twist. And sometimes we want to deny that similarity of thing going on for different reasons, and sometimes we want to deny the difference. But to get the full meaning, we've got to pay attention to both things. And here's the, one of the differences. For one, it was Jesus, not the emperor, who ascended to God's right hand. This carpenter from Nazareth that the Romans, in fact, killed. He is God's rightful ruler and king. It is he who ascended to God's right hand and is sharing his throne and shares the identity of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he does this as one, not in a, in a bodiless, bodiless spirit or soul, but he has done this in a physically resurrected body, like what we have, but no longer subject to corruption. 
He has done this as someone who's conquered death. He's brought a resurrected, renewed body from earth now into heaven. That's a new thing. And as he is reigning there, he is also sharing the life of heaven on the earth. As we pray, Father, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. He is answering that prayer, and one day will fully answer that prayer when heaven is fully on the earth as it is in heaven. But that's a different kind of ascension. That's a different kind of ruler than what we've seen in history. And let's come back to that cloud. The cloud that took Jesus out of their sight and out of our sight, too. We've talked about this before, but it's worth a review. If you haven't heard about the cloud, we talk about the cloud. The cloud, it's mentioned several times at key points throughout the scriptural narrative. It's at these points when there's a, there's a significant thing happening between our realm of earth and heaven. It's, it's like an interface between these two realms, the cloud. And usually something is being either revealed or concealed or both when the cloud shows up. That's what clouds do. I lived in Vancouver, Canada for three years when I did my master's at Regent Seminary. And Vancouver got a lot going for it. It's a beautiful city. It's right on the ocean, of course, and it's got these beautiful mountains in the background. One of the hard things, though, about Vancouver is, like Seattle, it rains a lot. And the clouds roll in, and they don't just rain on you, but they, like a curtain, cover the mountains. And after a long time, after days or weeks, sometimes it seems like months of solid rain, you start to forget you're surrounded by all these mountains. Until that day, they, they roll back like a curtain and reveal the, the beautiful scene right there. Clouds can be concealed and they can reveal things. And they can also act as like this interface between two different spaces. Like, for example, when you get on a plane, say on a rainy day, and you're on planet Earth and it's rainy and nasty, and then you fly, you ascend, and you travel through the cloud, and then you break through the clouds, and then it's just pure blue sky, sunshine on you. And then you gotta descend. <laughs> then go back through the clouds and get back, it might still be raining on planet Earth. A cloud can act like an interface. And this is what we see somewhat in the scriptures. The cloud shows up and it's like this interface. It reveals things and conceals things. So, for example, when God spoke to Moses and Aaron, where did he do it? In the pillar of cloud. The cloud that would lead the people of Israel by day and it would turn into fire at night. Pillar of fire. The pillar of cloud that came over Mount Sinai in the tabernacle, and then when Moses would go into the, the, the cloud, God would speak to Moses and reveal things to Moses, reveal his law. And it's described in contrasting ways. It's described as darkness, as thick darkness. It's described as light, as fire, both concealing again and revealing. And for the theologians here, it, it therefore is both represents the, the apophatic and the cataphatic. 
It's both the cloud of unknowing and the cloud of knowing. Generations later, when the, the temple was built, the cloud comes back and fills the temple. It fills the, the temple with the glory of God, with what's been called the Shekinah glory. And this glory was so overwhelming, the priests couldn't stay standing. They had to get down on the ground. The cloud, it reveals, it mediates the weighty, overwhelming, brilliant glory of God in our world. A thousand years after that, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud comes back. And the Gospel of Matthew says, suddenly a bright cloud overshadows them. And like God, speaking to Moses from the cloud, a voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved Son. With Him I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, like the priests who were overcome in the temple, the disciples fell to the ground, overcome by fear. But Jesus comes, and I love this, he touches them and says, get up, don't be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, it says, all they saw was Jesus. When the cloud comes back, in our Acts passage, and the cloud here is both revealing and concealing. And it's acting as this interface as it takes Jesus from our realm to the realm of heaven. The cloud reveals, it reveals again that God's taken Jesus from our realm to his realm, to heaven, to sit at his right hand, to rule. Therefore, it also conceals Jesus from our sight. We don't see him. Paul says in his letters, we, we know in part, we see in part, we see through a glass of darkly, we see in a mirror dimly. We could say we see through a cloud, sort of. You kind of see in a cloud, but you don't see it a ton in a cloud. We see Jesus through the eyes of faith. We see him there at God's right hand, ruling as a resurrected Lord. Not yet, but with our natural eyes, not with our eyes. We, in a sense, see Jesus with our ears as we hear the word of God. We know that he's ruling, he's pouring out his spirit. We see that to some degree. We see him making things new, making people new, but not always. Not everywhere. Not everything is under his redemptive rule yet. We know when we turn to God, the blood of Jesus takes away the human stain. We know when we turn to God, we know his son, ruling at his right hand, will send us seasons and times of refreshment and restoration. But we just don't know when, always. We have to wait in the cloud. When the disciples were watching and they see Jesus going away, leaving in this cloud, being taken out of their sight, what seems to be two angels come, and they speak to the disciples, and they say this, this Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. How did he go? In the cloud. How does he come to us now? In the spirit. In the cloud. 
Monday, of course, he's going to come in, in a physical way. But for now, he comes to us in the spirit, in the cloud. There was a time in my Christian walk when uh, I got into some pretty serious legalism. When I thought my favor depended, my continued favor with God depended on my continued obedience and getting everything right. There's a lot of reasons behind that, a lot of bad theology I had gotten into. And it was really bad for me. I really, um, it stole my joy, it caused me to question my salvation. I was in a dark place. I would call it a deep, dark depression. I was pretty much in despair. Um, and so one of these days, uh, I had read about this story uh, about some guy who went to some field and cried out to God and how God answered his prayer in that moment. <coughs> and so I'm going to try and do that. So I lived in suburbia. There were no fields around except a soccer field. <laughs> so I went and I found a soccer field. <laughs> and I got down and knelt down there in, in the middle of the field and cried out, really cried out to God. God saved me from this darkness I've got myself into. Help me restore that joy of the salvation I had. I know I've had. I don't feel anymore. Fill me with that spirit, the Holy Spirit you've promised. I prayed that. And after that, nothing happened on that day. Not that day. So I was pretty disappointed. And pretty discouraged, even more discouraged. But over the years, over the years, God heard that cry. Why well, I knew he always did hear that cry, but he didn't answer that for me right away. It took years of me learning about the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there were key moments significant moments during those years. But mostly it was a gradual thing over years. He hears my cry, but I have no control. I don't know how and when God is going to answer my cries. He won't tell you either. So we really need to be sensitive to each other in that time and help each other in that. passage ends with, it says, the disciples continually giving themselves to prayer. They heard the promise and they're waiting. And that's one of the things we do when we're in the cloud. We cry out. And we know he hears our cries. And we wait in hope the day he will hear us. And we wait in hope. Praise God.